This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 125. Psalm 125, we're continuing in our series of studies in the Songs of Ascent, Pilgrim Psalms, reflecting on and Quite possibly many or all of them used uh, as songs that were sung or chanted or recited uh, in the various pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Today we're looking at 125. Hear the word of God. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, we ask as we study your word this morning that you will open our eyes, help us to see those things that you would have us No. Father, help us to understand our own hearts at least a little more. Help us to understand your word much better. And Father, we pray that uh, as we bring those two together this morning, that we would grow in grace, that we would be fed in our souls, and that we would worship you in the study of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We do all kinds of things and go to considerable measures, even expense, to be safe, to be secure. Could be such things as locks on our doors or electronic security systems or in other areas, perhaps uh, insurance to protect valuables and income and so forth and having emergency funds to cover the inevitable emergencies that will arise. We do what we can to be safe, and we should. It's wise to do that. It's prudent to do that. But at the same time, we have to recognize, certainly as Christians, that ultimately our safety, ultimately our security does not lie in those things or others like them, but in the Lord Alone. Ultimately, the Lord is the one who provides us with safety because he is the sovereign one. He is the saving one. He is the all-powerful one. Well, this psalm, this uh, song of ascents, is about living safely. It's about living securely. Who is safe? Who is the one who is secure? 
Well, to borrow an expression from a previous psalm, it's the one who has the Lord on his side. It's the one who takes refuge in the Lord. Now, as God's people, we Christians know true security. And particularly, this psalm looks at that theme and expands it so that we think about this security, this safety that we have in the Lord. And as we look at this psalm, the first thing that it tells us along those lines is this, that we, we enjoy the stability of our trust in the Lord, the stability that comes to us from the Lord as we trust in him. Look at verse 1. It says, those who trust in the Lord... And again, small caps for Lord there indicating the use of his covenant name, the name he gave to Moses in Exodus 3, uh, as opposed to the word for master, uh, Lord in that sense. Those who trust in the Lord, our covenant God, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Now, there's, if you'll recall your uh, high school or college English, there's a simile here. One thing is like another. Again, these psalms are poetry. They don't tend necessarily to proceed with the logical sequence, say, of uh, one of Paul's letters. They tend to, uh, uh, to communicate more through imagery, through metaphors, through pictures, which is actually makes them very powerful in their communication. So in just, instead of saying God's people are safe, he says those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Well, to understand the point, it cannot be moved, but abides forever, we have to ask, what is Mount Zion like? Well, as he says, it cannot be moved. And he's thinking there particularly of that, that, that uh, geographical location of Jerusalem. And it's sitting on, on a mountain. It's sitting on solid ground. It's sitting on rock. And so we think about what is Mount Zion like? Well, there's that sense of, of, of being fixed, of being strong being uh, immovable. That expression occurs in other places in Scripture. Uh, A couple in the Psalms, Psalm 15, 5, uh, the one who uh, comes into the presence of the Lord is one, he says, who does not put his money out at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Again, that, that expression. Psalm 112, 6, the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Uh, Isaiah 40, 20, a very different context, is talking about construction of idols, idolatry. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. So there, just the literal sense of the thing is, is stable. Uh, although, remember Dagon of the Philistines, who would fall over before the, uh, the ark of the, of the Lord. Isaiah 41, 7, the same thing. Uh, creating uh, an idol and strengthening it with nails so it can't be moved. So when it talks about Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever, there's a sense of permanence, a sense of steadfastness, or to move it uh, out of the physical, purely physical realm, a sense of, of conviction that we cannot be moved. Now, certainly physically, you know, the picture is Jerusalem there on the mountain, its security, its strength. And remember, um, we see this in these pilgrim psalms, reflecting on Jerusalem. Remember earlier, we uh, in 122, Jerusalem built as a city that's bound firmly together, and there thrones for judgment were set. You know, kind of a, almost this travelogue of the city. 
Well, again, reflecting on the, the strength of its foundation there on Mount Zion, how immovable it is, but he's also talking about God's people in, in more of a, a spiritual sense, uh, are secure and established by the promises and by the presence and by the grace of God. And so we have this, this image. How are we like that? Well, we cannot be moved. Now, if you look at that expression and, and carry it into the New Testament, you find that it's used a couple of times. One, in a very literal sense, uh, in Acts chapter 27, verse 41, where Paul and the others are on this, uh, on this ship. And it says they, they're in the storm, they ran the vessel aground, the bow stuck and remained immovable. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. Well, they're getting the idea. It's, it's firmly in place. But then... Uh, this word is also used, uh, you may, it may come to mind because it's a familiar passage, the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about uh, Christ as the first fruits of the resurrection. He is bodily raised from the dead, guaranteeing our own resurrection from the dead. He is the first fruits. Uh, and so our faith is not in vain. And Paul ends that great chapter in verse 52. 58 by saying, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So because we know our Savior has been raised up to new life, we are immovable. We cannot be pushed off our position. And there are different ways we might think about that. We're immovable in our faith. We're immovable or should be in our convictions. And we are certainly immovable in our security because our Savior died for our sins and was raised to life, indicating the Father's acceptance of his atonement for the sins of his people. And so that we abound in the work of the Lord. We persevere. We don't give up. We are immovable because we know our Savior lives. So in that sense, to use the metaphor here, we are who trust in the Lord. We who have trusted in Christ are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Dear friends, the more we understand God's word, the more we understand who he is and what he's done for us, and the more his grace grows in our lives, the more immovable uh, we will become, the more rooted on a firm foundation. Jesus doesn't use that metaphor, but he uses one that is is kind of similar to it in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through 27, coming there at the end of the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, to indicate that when we trust in the Lord, we stand. And, uh, of course, it was the account of, of those who built their house on the sand versus those who built their house on the rock. Some built their house on the sand, and the storms came, and the rains fell, and the waters beat against it, and it was, it was wiped out because it was built on sand. Those who had built on the rock stood, withstood the storm. And Jesus says, so it is with those who uh, hear and obey my words, those who build their lives on my words. They stand. They are immovable. Of course, we know John, uh, John 6, they ask, well, what do we need to do to do the works you require, do the works God requires? And Jesus said, the work of him who sent me is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. And so if we're going to be on the rock, we trust in the Lord and trusting in him by his grace, seek to be like him. So that's the first thing that he's talking about here, just in terms of our security, is the stability that comes to us because of our trust in the Lord. 
we are like Jerusalem, set on Mount Zion. It cannot be moved. It's secure. It's stable uh, because of our trust in the Lord, our confidence in Him. But then he goes on to reflect on the security that the presence of the Lord brings, the security of the presence of the Lord, verses 2 and 3. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, again, reflecting on the city, the, the landscape, the terrain around it, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Now, in many ways, Jerusalem was an ideal location. It was a natural Fortress. It itself was elevated, which meant any attack on it pretty much had to come uphill, which was uh, a disadvantage. But even the city itself had some higher points around it that sort of acted like a natural wall around the city. It was a very desirable location if you were seeking security. We read uh, not too long ago from Second Samuel chapter 5, uh, after David had been anointed king, and he goes up against uh, the city of Jebus, uh, uh, where the current side of Jerusalem. And you remember the confidence that they had. This is uh, in Second Samuel 5, 6 through 9. The response of the inhabitants when David came up. Remember what they said. They said to David, you will not come in here. The blind and the lame will ward you off. Thinking David cannot come in here. It's too well defended. It's too difficult to attack. Uh, nevertheless, David took, notice how it's referred to here, to, he, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And so they attacked not in a, in, a, in a frontal assault, but they attacked in a, in a rather sneaky kind of way, because otherwise it would be very difficult to take the city, which is why the residents were so confident David couldn't do it. And so as verse 2 reflects on the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, they are looking at what was really a natural stronghold, a very secure place for that reason. But that's not the point, of course. The point is just... Um, to draw the comparison. In the same way, the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Now, the reason we read that passage from the Old Testament that we read is because it illustrates that very thing. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a vivid way, the Lord surrounding his people the way the mountains surround and protect Jerusalem and Elisha prays that the Lord would open his servant's eyes to see the situation as it really was, to actually see the protection of God around Elisha. And he does so, and he sees a whole different situation than the one that struck fear in his heart. Because reality is, we are surrounded by enemies. You know, the Bible uses this expression to encompass to encompass about, meaning to surround. You know, at every point of the compass, you go every point, north, south, east, west, no matter which way you go, surrounded by enemies. And just a couple of examples of this from Psalm 22. There are others, but Psalm 22, well-known psalm that describes uh, centuries before the event in, in vivid detail the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, psalm 22:12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. 
2216, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. Again, some parallelism there. They have pierced my hands and feet. Um, the fact is that our enemies do surround us from every point. Um, and then the Lord's Prayer, uh, as we just prayed earlier, we pray that the Lord would not lead us into temptation, but would deliver us from evil or from the evil one, uh, because we do have enemies that are around us. And that word encompass is found in many other places in Scripture indicating that. But just as our enemies surround us, the Lord also surrounds us to protect us, to keep us. Um, if you go to the Civil War battlefield in Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, and, and, and travel the road that goes along the, the lines, you'll discover it's, it's sort of banana shaped. You follow the, uh, the Union siege line around Jerusalem, around uh, Vicksburg. We're talking about Jerusalem, but only Vicksburg were secure. Uh, around Vicksburg, and you see there where they were, and then you get to the end and you turn and come back the other way closer into Vicksburg, and you follow the Confederate defenses and the defense line around uh, Vicksburg. Uh, now, that's a very poor analogy because Vicksburg fell July 4th, 1863. It took Vicksburg a long time to be able to celebrate July 4th. Uh, I think they do now, but, um, but they fell. So it's a very poor illustration other than to indicate that our enemies are surrounding us, but the Lord even closer in surrounds us to protect us. And, and where the Confederate defense has failed, the Lord never fails, of course. And his defense of us is sure. Like those mountains surrounding, he protects us from the enemies without, but also from enemies within. You know, we read in, in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. The Lord will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. With the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may bear up under it. Um, we think of enemies being out there, but we also need to recognize that they have an accomplice in our own fallen nature that resonates and wants to, uh, wants to turn uh, against the Lord and, and sin. So the Lord protects us. He guards us. And notice verse 3, protects us from the reign of evil. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Now, we have to acknowledge that is in many ways an ideal. You know your Old Testament. You know there were plenty of times when the scepter of wickedness rested on the land allotted to the righteous, and the people were led into all kinds of sin and idolatry and wrongdoing. But that was the ideal, and that was the, the prayer. However, that ideal is fulfilled in Christ, who is the king of his people, to whom the, the earlier kings uh, should have foreshadowed, and some did to some degree. We think of David, others who did well, but many did reign with a scepter of wickedness. Uh, but we see that fulfilled in Christ, that we have over us a scepter of righteousness, and Christ never leads us in doing wrong, in evil doing. And so it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ and his reign over us, but particularly in a couple of ways. Think about it. Death itself does not reign over us. First Corinthians 15, just before that verse we looked at earlier, uh, we, those great words, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, the, the sin, oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the, the reign of death is that scepter of wickedness, and it's been removed. But also the reign of sin over us 
In Romans 6, Paul says, We know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved by sin. So part of this scepter of righteousness of Christ reigning over us delivers us from the reign of death. But even before that, it delivers us from bondage to sin now, as verse 3 says, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Sin's power over us uh, it has been broken through the death and resurrection of Christ. Do we still sin? Yes. But at each point, God gives us grace to say no to sin if we would trust in him and do that. Well, then third, there's not only this uh, stability that comes from trusting in the Lord, the security that comes from the presence of the Lord surrounding us, guarding us, one for us to the victory of Christ. But then he also reflects on the certainty of the justice of the Lord, that we are in a safe place because of the certainty of the justice of the Lord. Verses 4 to 5, notice it starts out with a prayer. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. In other words, those who love the Lord, those who seek to follow him, serve him. But notice the flip side of that is not a prayer. It becomes a declaration. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. And actually, you see that in God's judgment on Jerusalem for its wickedness, uh, and on Israel and on Judah and then on Jerusalem uh, for for its wickedness. They were let out. They were let out to captivity, let out to exile. And the Lord will not tolerate those who, who turn against him, those who pursue crooked ways. So it, it starts with a prayer. Do good to those who love you, those who are good. But the Lord will not put up with their crooked ways. He will lead them away with evildoers. It turns into, into a flat-out declaration. As we move into the New Covenant, you see... Uh, some some hints of those things. Think of Jesus' parable of the the uh, the tares. You know, the wheat is sown, but then weeds, tares are sown in amongst them. And the Lord says, "Well, let them let them grow together until that day, and then we'll sort out the one from the other. We'll store up the weeds uh, or the uh, wheat in our uh, barns and burn the tares, burn the weeds. You know, that final sorting out in the day of judgment." So the certainty of the justice of the Lord. There are things that happen to us in this world, uh, not outside of, but in the midst of God's protection of us, things that call out for justice. Uh, and ultimately, we have to leave that to the Lord. Uh, we are, as Paul said, to pray uh, for our enemies, to do good to our enemies, not to return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good, uh, even as Elisha um, turned aside the opportunity to have his enemies slaughtered. said, no, nah, give him something to eat, give him something to drink, send him home. Uh, returning good or evil. Certainty of the justice of the Lord. And he ends with that statement, peace be upon Israel. And that's what we want. And that's what we have in Christ, individually and as the church. Peace in the face of this life, peace in the face of the life to come, because the Lord is our safety. You know, as Jesus was soon to go to the cross, he was soon to leave his disciples, understandably, they were concerned. They were anxious. They didn't like what they were hearing. But Jesus reassures them. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace 
I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus pronouncing the same word, peace, my peace, I give to you. Peace be upon Israel. And then later, John 16, he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says you will have tribulation. There are hard things. But they occur in the context of recognizing that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds and keeps his own. Those who trust in the Lord, in Christ, are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Dear Christian brother or sister, regardless of what enemies may be surrounding you right now, attacking you right now, the Lord surrounds you. The Lord protects you. You are safe. In this life, you are safe. And in death, regardless of what form that might take, How that might come to you in death, you too are safe in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm and its simplicity. Uh, Lord, so many questions we could ask and say, but what about, but what about, what if? And yet, Lord, you, you still are questions, you still are anxieties, and you simply point us to the mountains surrounding Mount Zion, to the safety, security of that stronghold, and recognize, Lord, we recognize, as you point out, that out to us, uh, how secure we are in Christ, uh, how much more a stronghold Christ is for us. And so, Father, we pray that whatever this week might hold for us, that we would know your peace, your peace upon the Israel of God, your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.